The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, today, we are lucky enough to have with us John Raymond, the CEO of Identity. It's a listed fintech company based right here in Australia. The ASX code is ID8. John, welcome to this podcast. It's great to have you with us today. Oriel, thank you for having me. Nice to be here. Now, you've had an incredibly diverse, shall we say, and a very interesting career. How did you end up where you are today? I mean, you started off, or very close to started off, on the floor of a JB Hi-Fi store. Yeah, I, I guess I've just always sold things to people. Um, from my the very first job I ever had, ever, in a, a, a drive-through bottle shop, um, yeah, through to JB Hi-Fi, David Jones. Um, I've always done things with customers. I've always provided goods and services to customers. Um, you know, so, so I have a very deep-seated belief about you know excellence in customer service and you know exceeding customer expectations. Um, and I got introduced to identity in 2019 when I was living in London, and when I was just about to move back to Australia, um, I was introduced to our co-founder Nick Armstrong um, by a mutual friend of mine, and. Um, you know, helped Nick solve a problem that he listed a business and was a, a young entrepreneur and, you know, he didn't want to scale and grow the business. He wanted to hand it over to someone uh, that he knew and trusted and he wanted to get on to, uh, you know, to his next entrepreneurial venture. Um, and here I am. So do you kind of consider yourself or you don't consider yourself, I should say, a technologist then? You, you consider yourself a sales guy? I would consider myself a people person. Um, you know, and I would consider my my strengths be about the ability to identify um, you know, identify the right type of people for the right type of roles, and work with a company to you know define the right type of strategy, and then relentlessly focus on the execution of that strategy. You know, making sure again, coming back to what I said at the start, they have the right people in the right roles. Um, so I'm not sure whether I would describe myself as an out-and-out technologist. Um, I know some of the engineers that, uh, listening to this in our company would, would have a bit of a giggle at that. Um, <laughs> but I am very, you know, it is very important to me that we have, that I surround myself with, you know, the right kind of people, you know, people all smarter than me. You look at a company like Identity, if we talk about that for the, for, for a moment, and the company sure. started with the aim of improving financial inclusion and eliminating financial crime. It, it's a very specific aim that the company is targeting. You know, uh, what you're trying to achieve is quite specific. Uh, coming from your background, as we've just been talking about, what was it about about the company that intrigued you so much? So much so that you, you left London, came back to Australia and jumped right in with both feet. Yeah, I did come back from London and, and jump straight into it. The last nine years before joining Identity, I'd worked for uh, TravelX, a global foreign exchange company. I'd worked in their enterprise business selling payments and currency solutions to mostly banks. Um, and in 2016, I moved to London to lead that business globally. And at its peak, it had more than 2,000 financial institutions as customers in 77 countries around the world. And I was running that business out of London. Um and so I guess I've spent the last nine years of my life sitting in front of financial institutions, 
listening to their, you know, listening to the issues that they face um, and, and trying to help them improve their, you know, take costs out of the business, improve level of standards to customers of service and, and you know, stave off um, problems with regulators. So it, it's a space that I've really, you know, I really enjoy it. It's a space that I've enjoyed um, and I'm experienced it. And, and I, I looked at what identity was doing. Um, and importantly, I shared what identity was doing with some people that are close of my close friends of mine in the banking industry. And, you know, the, the feedback was pretty, was pretty loud and from within the industry, which was, you know, if those guys can do, if they can do what it says on the tin, um, that, that makes for a very, very compelling business. Mm. Well, what sort of impact have you found over the last um, 12 months or so, 12 to 18 months with the impact of COVID? Because obviously when it comes to technological innovation, which is something that you're very highly involved in, in, in within the identity business, it seems to me that the, the majority of feedback I'm getting is, you know what, we would have innovated anyway. It's just happened a lot faster simply because of COVID. Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement wholeheartedly. COVID, I guess, has really accelerated um, the opportunities for fintechs and regtechs around the world. Financial institutions all over the world over the last 12 months um, have had to do more with less. You know, they've had to, you know, they've worked with less. They've had to allocate capital to to help customers and to, to help business and individual customers um, get through the pandemic. Um, and they've had to find, certainly our experiences, have had to find smarter and cleverer ways to continue to drive their change agendas forward. Um, and I guess as a function of that, there has been uh, increased um, opportunities for fintechs and regtechs to get in there and provide those services you know, in a more cost-effective and, and a more nimble way. You know, you, you talked about the fact that you're a people person and, that, and that's your passion. Um, when it comes to the identity business itself, what makes you what what makes you passionate? What what gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, when you're looking at the problem that you're trying to solve. I, not it's not difficult to get out of bed to come to work with the people that we have around the table here. We've 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 amassed a we've been pretty lucky that we've we've built a a, a team of really really wonderful people. Um, but it's the problem that we're solving um, that gets me out of bed, or that gets all of us out of bed every day. I guess you know the problem that we're solving and and what the industry looks like with that problem solved. And the problem that we're solving is that. Um, for most of the industry, which is 25,000 banks and probably another 20 or 30,000 money service businesses around the world, all of the transaction data with their customers sits in multiple different pieces of technology and in some cases, different file formats. So having a single view of the customer and having a single view of all of your transactions with the customer as a business is really, really, really hard to do. And that's not, and that, complexity is caused as i said by you know aging technology and there are some really terrible things that happen when that technology you know when that problem's not solved and this is where financial this is how financial crime is um, this is the space where financial crime lives um so you know we believe we think there's an opportunity for um, technology to help solve that problem without those institutions having to spend millions and billions of dollars um, un replacing underlying technology. We think there's just an easier way to um, use an overlay service to allow institutions to bring all of their transaction information together in one place. And then once it's in one place, um, you can begin to spot trends that, you know, you can help stamp out financial crime. You can help report to regulators more efficiently. Um, you can make payments flow through the ecosystem much faster. And then, of course, there's a whole host of upside in addition to just preventing the downside, which is 
you know, knowing more and know, knowing more about your customer. You you talked about um, spending money and, and saving money, I, I suppose, uh, within the business. Last year, just the end of last year, last quarter or so of last year, you, you did raise some money. You raised around $6 million. Um, talk to us about what you're going to be doing with that because much of that st- is still sitting in your bank account. Yeah, we raised $6 million, um, in a professional in a raise in December and January. Um out to institutional investors and through the and through the vehicle to raise from our existing shareholders. Um, and at the 4C that we just released, we said we had $5.4 million left in the bank. We'll be deploying that money to continue our efforts to onboard new customers. So you can expect a lot of that money to be spent in sales and marketing activities. Um, and of course, um, you know, the engineering work that's required to onboard new customers. Okay, so let's talk a bit about what you're doing at the moment. You've recently renewed your your quite significant contract with with HSBC. Um, what's ahead with that? Yeah, well, the, the, that's the contract that gave birth to the company, I guess, and that's that's an important contract for us to renew. And importantly, that comes with not only just a renewal for the commercial agreement for the services that we're providing to the bank in Hong Kong, um, but it also comes with the renewal of the global framework agreement, which allows us to sell or to solve problems with other HSBC businesses all around the world. So the future for that relationship looks like um, helping the bank in Australia solve some some reporting challenges with the regulator here and then looking to take that technology further afield in other HSBC markets around the world. And there are a couple of other uh, countries or markets where we are we're, we're doing some some you know some exploratory work at the bank to see if the technology works there as well. And what, where are you focused then when it comes to geography? I look the the problem that we're solving for the, the the use case for our technology that's gaining the most traction at the moment is to help financial institutions um, get a single view of their transaction level information, as I said earlier, and then use that uh, use that clarity to be able to make um, the right reporting decisions to the regulator. So in Australia, we're helping institutions report to Austrac. And there are similar reporting regimes in New Zealand to the FIU there, and there are similar reporting regimes in the United Kingdom to the FCA and to the regulator in Canada as well. So I would imagine, you know, I would call those three markets out as um, three markets that we are immediately interested in. There was, um, you you've recently, or at the end of last year anyway, secured a US patent um, for your secure financial information sharing ecosystem. And you, you talked before about generating additional revenue from this. How does that work? Yeah, look, we're thrilled that after many years, the US Patent Office has agreed to, has seen fit to grant our patent, which happened for us this year um, in the United States. That'll do a couple of things for us as a business. Um, First of all, it'll help us with the patent applications we have in several other global markets um, in Asia Pacific and towards Europe as well. Um, So we expect our, our patent to be enforceable, not just in the United States, but in other major financial institution markets around the world. Um, and the other thing that the patent will allow us to do is, um, you know, it, it allows us to um, to be confident that the technology that we're selling to our prospective partners um, is ours, and that we'll never, you know, the, the validity of whether or not we're able to sell it to them might be challenged. And there are a couple of ancillary benefits from having the patent as well that, you know, we we are considering as as part of a you know a wider strategy to extract value from it. Um, talk to me about payable. Um, this is really interesting. Um, this particular subsidiary um, linking essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, bank accounts, customers' bank accounts to the billing system, um, which 
I suppose, tries to head off at the pass the fact that late or payments or failed payments won't actually happen because they'll be fixed before they occur. And this is particularly interesting because it's solving a problem before it's happened. And CBA's venture investment arm has been interested in this and have taken a stake in that business. Oriol, that's a really slick way of presenting what we do in Payball. Um, I want to take the soundbite of what you just said and, and maybe use it elsewhere. <laughs> Please that's do. exactly it's it's exactly what we're doing, you know. And, and and not because not because I'm a director on the payable board, but I was actually sitting at my dining room table the other night, and I was paying an electricity bill from a property that I used to have, and I was paying uh, uh, another bill, and I, there were three bills that I was paying, and one of them was one of them was late. And I thought to myself. It's just a bit of a pain in the butt. This process. <laughs> I wish there was a single place where I could do all of this in one, you know, in in one application. And that's exactly what the you know the idea behind Payable is. Payable solves the problem that there are around 500 million bills in this country issued every year, from you know the large telcos and the large energy and gas suppliers to you know rates, council, local councils, um, your gyms, childcare, childcare facilities, and so on and so forth. And about 75 million of those bills are paid late. Um, or, or not paid at all, and that's a, a nearly a half billion dollar, uh, a five hundred million dollar problem to the industry, in terms of costs incurred in recovering, um, recovering those late and failed payments. And so Payable was set up um, to solve that problem, and it, it, it does that really simply using technology, and leveraging the new consumer data right, um, and it, you know it works on the ethos that as a customer, I've permissioned the application to just check my account balance not to do anything else other than to check that the money's there. And instead of a, a, a large energy company sending me a direct debit request and not having any idea as to whether or not I've got the money and whether the payment's going to be made or, or failed, um, we simply perform a check in the process just to let the energy company know that the money's in the account. And if the money's in the account, take it and the billing process works as normal. But I guess we, the way the magic happens is potentially the, the value that Commonwealth Bank's X15 Ventures has seen and why they've chosen to invest is what happens when the money's not there and the conversation that we can have the customer with the customer about, you know, reminding that the, the reminding them that the bill's coming and to maybe move some money into the account or potentially look at delaying the payment or even smoothing it out over four week or equal instalments. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And if you've got a, you know, the venture investment arm of CBA, they're smart guys and girls over there. Um, you know, if you've got interest from someone like that, that's almost a bit of a pat on, pat on the back, isn't it? That you're going in the right direction. I, I think it says volumes for, for the business itself. Mm. Um, you know, we, our, the founder of that business, Elliot Donaldson, came to us uh, you know, about a year ago and a bit before a year ago. And, uh, Identity had, you know, invested in a lot of different ideas, as do most startups. Um, and, you know, we weren't going to monetize all of those ideas and they it didn't form part of our core regulatory technology strategy moving forward. And he came to us a, a while ago and said, I, you know, I think we can make a business out of this. Um, and, the, you know, the deal we struck with him was you know, go, find a, um, go find a customer and go find a, you know, the right type of investment partner. Um, and you know, we, let's let's put that into a business, and let's give you a, a, some equity stake in the business, and reward you for that, and and stand it up on its own two feet, and you know, a successful business it may become. And you know, X15, we couldn't we, we couldn't have found a better partner if we tried. X15 Ventures is, um, you know, it has a significant war chest um, uh, with you know that we now have access to with you know the eight million customers that use the ComBank app um, and a range of 
different um, skills and capabilities that come with um, them being owned by Commonwealth Bank. It's a, a fantastic partnership um, and one that's you know we're we're already seeing the benefits of. Now I'm going to take you on a bit of a, a sidebar here, John, um, and ask you about you know your fight against financial crime as a key part of the business. What is your view on Bitcoin on cryptos in that specific fight against financial crime? Yeah, big big difference between. Um, thanks for the sidebar. Um, <laughs> uh, big difference between um, I, I, Bitcoin and and digital or cryptocurrency. Mm. Um, you know, I, I guess my view on Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and Ripple and so on and so forth is that they aren't really currencies. They're more like they're more commodities. Like a currency is something that you use to buy and sell goods and services with. Um, and that's a key limitation of digital currency or cryptocurrency today. It's it's really hard to monetize Ether, um, Bitcoin, and a Dogecoin, and so they really are people. In my view, people are really buying these um, as commodities to you know buy at one price, sell at another, and make a profit. Um, and you know there is very little underlying. You know the, <laughs> we've seen this year with with Elon Musk as a, as an example that there are, there's a ton of public sentiment that is. Um, that, that really sways the volumes and the price and the, you know, the prevailing conditions that under which those commodities are traded. But cryptocurrencies, you know, central bank digital currencies or central bank digital coins will, is another topic entirely differently, which is using similar, you know, using the same type of, the same type of blockchain traded ethos, um, but using it as a central bank currency pe- pegged by the reserves in those countries, like the dollar and the, the RMB in China, as an example. Uh, that, that, that's something entirely different, and I think that um, I think there's quite a lot of tailwind behind re- re- central banks looking at central bank digital currencies. Um, but you know, in order for the world to move away from um, fiat currency, and in, in order for the you know for financial crime to be made really difficult in the, with the use of cryptocurrency and blockchain, um, you know, we need to remember that there are I think 195 countries in the world, and there are 180 currencies. And it's only at the point when all 195 countries and all 180 currencies are all traded in a central bank digital coin that there will be no crypto to fiat exchange. And at that point, you know, the world becomes very different. And, mm. you know, I, I can't see 195 current countries and 180 currencies all collaborating at any point soon. Mm. Yeah, I think I would have to concur with you on that, on that particular point, although you never know. Um, John, anything can happen in this uh, era of innovation that we seem to be seeing in technology at the moment. Um, Now, just before I let you go, John, talk to me about uh, the future of identity. Where are we going in the next 12 months? What are you looking for? What's most exciting for you um, coming up for the company? There there are a couple of things that excite me about the company. The, I guess, the the sales pipeline and, um, you know, proving to investors that have backed the company that you know that they've made a good uh, that they've made a good investment and that they have you know their faith in us, in us as a management team will be rewarded. Um, so having a look at our sales pipeline and having a look at where the deals the deals that are coming is is really really exciting for me, um, both before the end of the financial year and the end of the calendar year. Um, so that's probably the most exciting thing. And and then I guess the other thing that's really exciting for us is that. Um, we are going to make a, a small investment in augmenting our enterprise sales capability or our enterprise sales approach, which is, you know, the fact that we're selling big pieces of software to big financial institutions all around the world. We're going to add to that by building a, a more 
uh, a more repeatable sales product using a software as a service approach um, and an exposed website with a security key that will allow you know thousands and thousands and thousands of smaller businesses um, smaller financial services and small money service businesses both here and in markets all around the world to consume our services for much smaller license prices um, and build a you know and build a, a steady increasing stream of additional revenue in addition to um, in addition to just waiting for large enterprise sales contracts to come along um, I guess they're the, they're the things that really excite me Excellent. Um, well, we are certainly looking forward to watching you uh, uh, go on those particular points that you've raised, John. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. It's wonderful to have you with us. My pleasure. And thanks for, uh, thanks for the interview. And thank you also to all of our supporters, of course. You are listening to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.